Okay, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study, the Epistle to the Romans, Part 8. Let's uh, open in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for this time uh, bringing us together. Lord, we thank you for those that are here, those that are on their way or couldn't make it. Lord, for those that are listening via podcast, Lord, we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that uh, you're the teacher, you're the guide tonight, you're the uh, counselor, you're the one who uh, reveals Scripture to us and for us. So we just thank you for that, and we just ask that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what it is that you have for us. In this we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, we've been doing Romans, uh, and um, there's a little bit of a, a, a change up, and I put up here hermeneutics. Interpretation, and part of what Paul is doing in Romans is he's giving an interpretation. You know, I always tell you that the New Testament is the Old Testament pulled through the cross. That's interpretation, right? So, what they call hermeneutics is actually the interpretation which leads to the application of it, okay? But before you do that, there's what we call exegesis, which is a critical explanation of the text. So in other words, before you you give a sermon, you want to do a critical explanation. In other words, you want to unpack the the scripture, whatever it is that you're going to be uh, uh, looking at. And so exegesis is very important because if you don't do exegesis, then your interpretation application is going to be off. Because exegesis takes in when it was written, who it was written to, who the author was, the time frame, uh, what was the language it was being used, what was the uh, literary criticism, what was the, uh, the time frame, all those things. Uh, because the power of scripture is in the context in which it was given. So you don't want to take it out of that. So that's what kind of exegesis does. And then the reason I'm saying this is because we're going to kind of be talking about this a little bit in chapter 10 tonight. And then there's a thing called homiletics, which is the art of preaching. In other words, how you now take exegesis and uh, and how you now um, would actually use it. How yeah, you'd actually apply it. You know, with your your uh, your hermeneutics and your and your and your exegesis, now becomes the homiletics. So it's the art of preaching. And what whenever I teach um, how to preach or how to do Bible study, I talk about the hook, the book, the took, and the look. And and basically, what it is is, you know, you have to have a hook, something that draws you in to the context. There's a hook. And so it could be a story, it could be a joke, it could be just the thing. Our, our hook tonight is we've been in Romans, we've been studying Romans, we, we, we've been unpacking it. That's the, that's the hook. Then there's the book. The book is the text that you're, you're, you're looking with. Then there's the look, which is the overall presentation of what you're doing, right? Uh, and then the last thing is the took, or in other words, what's the take home? 
What's the one thing you want them to take home? And that's basically the art of preaching. Let's going to talk about preaching tonight in the in the text. And then there's one more thing that, that pops up sometimes. Apologetics. Apologetics is bas- basically Christian theology. Or apologetics would be uh, in response to questions that question or want to challenge Christianity or whatever. It's what do we believe as, as Christians? It's apologetics. So we'll be dealing with that tonight. Any thoughts or questions on that? Because that's just kind of what, what they are. But I'll put them up again. The book, the look, the hook, and the took. In yeah. that order? It's the it's the cook. It's the cook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, depends on what you have in the morning for breakfast. <laughs> no. It's the hook. Then the book. Then the look and the took, which is the take home. Right. So, so hermeneutics is interpretation. And, you know, if you. Proper hermeneutics, proper interpretation is based upon proper exegesis. Because if you do this properly, then the interpretation will not be off. You know, now how do you, you know, apply it? Um, and then there's the art of preaching. It's actually the art of doing Bible study, too. And then there's apologetics. Apologetics is just Christian theology. Biola has a whole school of apologetics. You know, and so um, it's, uh, uh, that's one of their main things over there. So those are the four main things when you're talking about Bible study that we tend to look at. So... Having said that, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Now, who is Paul speaking of? Jews. Jews, yes. Because in the last couple chapters, he's been talking about Jews, right? And, 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 and he's been talking about the difference... Uh, between Jew and Gentile, and how now everything is the same in Christ, and, and all this. But he's been uh, he's he's been explaining Jewish culture in a sense to Romans who are Gentiles, which means others. Gentile is basically anyone that's not Jewish. It just technically means others. Um, so he's he's talking about Jews. He's he's saying you know my heart's desire for them is that they be saved. And so now it's a transition because now he's going to go in and he's going to be speaking a lot about Jewish nation because part of the struggle is, okay, if God gave the word to the Jewish people and through the Old Testament and then Jesus comes and then not all of them believe, where does that lead? What does that, how do you interpret that? How do you understand that? Some of them came to the Lord, but some of them didn't. And so the ones that didn't still want to say, well, we're still part of the chosen people. And so Paul's got to now uh, do a hermeneutic to explain that, the difference between that. And that's what this chapter is going to be about. It'll explain itself a little bit more as we get into it. But stop me anytime if you want more explanation. So verse 10, chapter 2 and 3. It says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. 
for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. In other words, they have a zeal, they have this, we're the people of God, or, you know, we have this history, whatever, but yet there isn't that much behind it. You know, I think I told you one time I was, uh, I was in a Jewish synagogue, and it was a uh, Thanksgiving service or something, and I was one of the speakers there. And, and afterwards, I, I, I was talking to a Jewish lady who had been in that synagogue for, well, actually a temple for I don't know how long. And I said to her something about Abraham, and she looked at me like, who's Abraham? And I'm like, to myself, are you kidding me? <laughs> she didn't know who Abraham was? And so my point is, she was like, she was telling me, you know, how happy we were there, and you can come back, and this, and with Jews, and this is what we do. But yet, she's got that zeal, but there's not that knowledge behind it. And so, that's what happened when Christ came. You know, the people had a zeal for God and different things like that, but they didn't know enough of the Scripture to follow the Scripture all the way to Christ. You know? So, they kind of slipped through the cracks there, and this is what he's saying. You know, he says, my desire is for them to be saved. And they have a zeal, you know, they have a history there, and they have this, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. And the thing, the thing about a Christian, you know, I think we talk about nominal Christians, or Christians in name only. We say, I'm a Christian, but yet your actions don't show it. If you ask them to explain the gospel, they can't do it. Or anything else, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you have to go a little bit farther than, than that. And so, their zeal is not in accordance with knowledge, which is basically, again, theology, knowing who God is. Who is God? What is God doing? And where am I in relationship to what God is doing? So this is who God is. He's the creator of all things. This is what he's doing, Alpha and Omega. And now where am I in relationship to Alpha and Omega? That's the big picture, but, you know, it gets more minute than that. What is it I should be doing? What is it, you know, finite that we're, we're doing here? Paul had that same zeal. Yes, exactly. Until the road to Damascus. Yeah, he had that zeal, and he thought he was doing the right thing, and he was persecuting the church, and was in agreement with Stephen being stoned, and, and all that stuff. And, you know, Jesus stopped him in his tracks. Blinded him so he could see, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, so he had that zeal, but, and you would think even Paul, who really knew the scriptures, but his interpretation of it and his application of it was off, and so there's a danger there, that's why I say you, you got to know exegesis and, and all this other stuff, or else the ultimate interpretation of it is going to be off. You have to go through that process to get to to what the Bible is really saying and what it really really means. So yeah, Paul, when his name was Saul, was was like that. Can we say the same with the Pharisees? Yes, yes, because the Pharisees, when they started, they started the Pharisees started in the Inner Testament period after Malachi. Uh, about three hundred years or so before Jesus, and they were a very devout group originally, but by the time Jesus came around, they were more of a political group. Mm -hmm. It was more about them. It wasn't about scripture anymore. 
they used to call them, um, in Hebrew it's called perushin, and what it means is the pious ones, the ones who were, were knew God and knew what, what his word said, that's the way they started, but when Jesus came around, he called them what? Hypocrites. Because they weren't doing what the word said, they were about other things, and they wanted to be seen, and they were so yeah, exactly, Pharisees. So, you know, Pharise- the Pharise- Pharisees are alive today. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, in in, 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 bless you, in, in the church, you know, as, as well. So we, we have to be careful of that because, uh, yeah, Pharisees, uh, good example. So, uh, verse 48. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks thus. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we are preaching. Remember, he's got to take Jews away from the legalism of the law to get them now to believe God by faith. Right? We're saved by faith. We have to know. And what he says here in verse 4, he says, Christ is the end of the law. It doesn't mean that he is he is he, he does away with the law because Jesus himself said I came to fulfill it. What it means is he's the end of the law, the Old Testament period, as I tell you, it points to the cross. So he's the end of that. He's the end of what the law, what the what the what the what first part of the Bible is talking about when he says it's finished, he came to fulfill it, and then he dies, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father, and now what we have is the interpretation of all of that through the cross, which becomes the New Testament. And that's what Paul is doing to the Romans, for the Romans. He's explaining all that to them, because they don't have a history of the Old Testament, really. So he's, he's breaking it down for them. And uh, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 12 to 14, uh, but what we have to remember is that what he's saying to them and what he said earlier we're saved by faith alone but we're also saved by scripture alone so in other words the law the Hebrew Bible the Old Testament pointed to the cross that's all we need we don't need anything outside of that because it's there it shows us it directs us to the cross and now we just have to believe it by faith Right, and then the other part of that uh, of the soul is Christ alone, right? Because uh, 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 He's the only one that can save us. There's grace alone, God's favor to us. God so loved us, He gave. And then the last part of the soul is is to God alone be the glory for what He's done. So verse nine and ten. Now notice this is the salvation passage. But notice the context and how it's given that he spends nine chapters getting to this part. 
almost 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 ten and a half chapters to get to this part, verse nine. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now, this is a doctrine statement, okay? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then it explains it. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You know, the context of the passage is have faith in God, don't have faith in the letter of the law. In other words, doing right things to be righteous. We cannot do right things to be righteous because we all fall short of the glory of God. But because God so loved us through God's grace, we are saved. He so loved us, he gave. And if we're willing to confess that with our mouth based upon believing through the evidence of the scripture that we are saved through Christ alone, the end result is glory to God alone. Right? That's the solas right there. And he talks about, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Now what that means, Jesus as Lord, there's no one above him. Right? That means, uh, uh, you know, he is, he's our Lord, our King, our High Priest, our, as we say, you know, as we, we sing, you know, uh, the scripture says, our all in all. That's Lord means. What it says, but if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. This is the resurrection separates Christianity from other beliefs. I put that on your outline there. That it's the resurrection that separates us. Because um, Jesus says, if, if, if I'm in you and you are in me, and what does that mean? We know that means that the, that the power of God, the Holy Spirit, is in us because we are now born again, right? That is part of the transformation that happens. Now that the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is now within us as well, so now we can say we one day will be resurrected because Jesus was resurrected. No other deity has this idea of this resurrection like this. They have things of eternal life or they have things of reincarnation and you know you come back to something else. Yeah, yeah, yada. Christianity has resurrection. Who's gonna be resurrected? I'm not gonna be resurrected as a tulip or something else. I'm gonna be resurrected as me. You're gonna be resurrected as you. Right? And so, you know, we don't become something else, but we are now uh, righteous before God because we have believed we have confessed Jesus came and was resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. This is our doctrine statement. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes. Remember, we've been talking about that, that, you know, your, your mind and your spirit need to be connected because we're mind, body, and spirit. Any two of those? That's the direction you're going to go. So, 
you know, if your mind and your spirit are together, that's the direction you are going to go. So if so, for what the heart man believes, you know, we are to renew our heart, renew our minds to the things of God till it becomes passionate because we know the brain is not in the heart. But what he's talking about is what you are passionate about, what you are, you know, because again, we say it all the time. It wasn't in my heart to do it or it was in my heart to do it, you know. Well, we know, you know, it's, it's, we, we were thinking about it, but once it drops from here into your heart, now it becomes a passion. Now it becomes a desire. Now it becomes a want. Now it becomes purposeful. Now it becomes a, a must-do. So that's the difference between, I accept Jesus Christ as Lord here, but not here. In other words, yeah, there was a Jesus that came, and he was the king, and, you know, he was this and that, but I'm not sure I buy into all of it. But I think I'm saved because I'm a good guy. Right? Just, that's idolatry. I just created a God in the image I wanted him portrayed. But it's not here. Because it has to go from here down into here based upon this. Scripture alone. Faith alone in this. Nothing outside of this. And so that's why, you know, the Book of Mormon, it's outside of Scripture. Uh, it's, you know, you take the Quran, it's outside of Scripture. Um, you know, some other religions where it's outside, they'll reference or they'll take bits and pieces from it, but you can't divide this. You can't take this apart. Pastor Sue, um, what do you say of a person saying it's Catholic? Going to the Catholic Church or went to the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. but confessing that Jesus is Lord, mm -hmm. they continued in the Catholic Church, maybe because of some other family member as a respect. But since they confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, they're saved, right? Based upon confession, mm -hmm. belief, and this is why, who's the, who's the one that makes that call? Who's going to judge them? Jesus. Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's why we don't, we don't make that call, because it's like, well, do I really know a person's heart? Do I really know what's on the inside of that? And this is what becomes difficult, because... Uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't want to bash Catholicism anymore. I don't want to bash anything else, because there's good people there. But if you if you look at the organizational structure of Catholicism, it's broken. It's wrong. It doesn't work. It's it's idolatry. It's it's off the pages of the Bible. But if someone is there and they believe according to this in their heart, you know. I would think that at some point they would move away from Catholicism because what happens is, what happened to myself and probably others here, is that now you start reading Scripture for yourself. And then once you start reading it for yourself, now that you are born again, the Holy Spirit is there, is edifying you, and it's going to pull you away from a corrupt organization. It should. So, you know, you could, you could make a case, on the other hand, 
say, okay, well, you know, if they are saved, then they're going to see, you know, but, you know, you can't, it's a tough one because family ties, friend ties are tough, you know, when people, you know, do that. And so it's like, that's why I can't say, you know, some people would say anybody who goes to Catholic church is not saved. I, I, I can't say that because I don't know a person's heart. I can't judge them. I'm glad it's God, not me, you know, make the, make those decisions. But I understand when people say, because, you yeah, know, the Pope and the stuff he says, it's a corrupt system. But again, Southern Baptists, we got our own words. We got some things we got to take care of. You know, any other organizations? If you look at, if you, if you just wonder why are there, why is there so many different um, Christian organizations? I mean, if we're all, what happened? Somewhere, you know, we started. Veering off, and there's a trail. You can't find where it happened. You know, when they teach church history, you can go back and you can see those trails where it started going off, and, and all this other stuff. But the bottom line here is, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness; with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now, just to take it one step further, I remember when I was. In the process, I've always been in church. Uh, um, always been in church, raised in a Catholic church. And I remember being a little kid and looking at the priest, and I didn't understand it. I did not understand it at the time. I was, we were still living in Los Angeles. I must have been about five or six. Really cute. And we were living in Los Angeles, and I'm sitting there with my mom in St. Columkill's Church in South Central L.A., still there today, and I remember feeling, I want to be that, but I don't want to be like that. And I didn't understand what that meant. I did not get it. And I said, I like that. But there's something there that I don't want to be. You know, it was, because again, I didn't, I, I didn't know what a pastor was, but I knew what a priest was. So to me it was, I want to be a priest, but I don't want to be that kind of priest. So, fast forward many years later when I had my ordination, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, now you're a priest. And all of a sudden it just hit me. Wow. So. Ah, I'll recover in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> ah. But you know, it's, you know, it's things like that, you know, how God moves and God does things and, and you know, if we're in a system that's not perfect, and no no systems are going to be perfect, but we come to a knowledge of God, and that begins the journey, praise God for that journey. Um, I kind of 
can relate because my sisters and I grew up, we were always in church. Yeah. What we thought was a Christian church. Yeah. Um, the messages and some things that if, say, one of us, when we were little children, if one of us told a lie, and they had, a, a, when communion came, they also had the washing of the feet. Mm-hmm. And they would say in, in from the pulpit, you cannot take part today because you told a lie to a child. And um, other things, it's like we really wanted to believe. Uh, we thought, we heard from other people that God was love, but we were taught that all about the wrath of God, the wrath of God. And so there was something inside of us that, you know, was always in conflict. We didn't really find out until we were practically adults um, that we were brought up in a cult. And um, it was um, really something to learn God is the God of love. Mm-hmm. And this is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. It's not what they believe. It's not what they taught. It's, it was more like the, the, the word of the Lord according to them for everything. And so it was a frightening growing up experience of being a Christian, being ashamed to tell other people that we were Christians and not wanting to talk about it. But inside of us, it's like what we want to do, what God says. So... Um, so this is this is good. So what was causing the conflict on the inside of you? It, it was like a feeling that no, this isn't God. Uh, what they're telling us it's not God. Okay. Where was that coming from? From God. Yeah. 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 Because we were not allowed to read the Bible on our own. Right. You know, mm-hmm. they made us read the Bible mm-hmm. every morning, but it was more like um, saying your alphabet, you know, mm-hmm. like that. And if we had a question, it was never answered. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was God. And so that's the, see, that's the, the beauty of the age that we live in, that the Holy Spirit is here. Yes. Who's our what? Our help, our counselor, yes. our guide, our comfort. And then when we really stop and think about that, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. Because who's the one that convicts us? It's the Holy Spirit. We might give the message to someone, but it's the Holy Spirit that works on the heart, right? It's the Holy Spirit that opens the eyes. Yeah. You know, in uh, in some cases like Saul's, you got to be blinded so you can see. You know, but yeah, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. That's the work of that. So, you know, we, in Christianity, we have to allow for that process of God on the inside of someone because you never know where that journey yes. is going to take us and what it's going to take us through. Yeah. So, you know, so I, th- I thank God for the journey. Yes. And that the journey is continuing. Yes. You know, so. Any other thoughts, questions? Good stuff. Okay. Verse 11. <coughs> For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Who believes? This is, uh, he's quoting Isaiah 26, 28, 16. Uh, the Bible, 
what Paul is saying is the Bible is the evidence of who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. So when you have evidence, what does that mean? You should have a verdict, like the book, you know, evidence that demands a verdict. And the verdict is, Jesus is Lord. The verdict is, God so loved me, he sent his only begotten son. The verdict is, I'm a sinner. The, the, the verdict is, my sin has separated me from God. You know, all that. So that's the evidence. We have this, like, Sunday's message, you know, we have this surrounding witnesses. You know, that's the evidence. And so that evidence demands a verdict. And the verdict is salvation through Jesus Christ, through faith alone, scripture alone, grace alone, glory to God alone, because it's through Christ alone. Um, verse 12 to 13. And now, remember, he's talking to Romans who are Gentiles. And who've heard from other Jews that, oh no, maybe you gotta be you gotta be a Jew. You can't be just a Gentile, you gotta be a Jew. Or maybe maybe they were told you will never be a child of God because you were not one of the chosen people, right? So verse twelve. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the same thing Peter preached in Joel chapter 2. The same thing he preached in chapter 2 of, of Acts. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, so that right there. Again, it's another doctrine statement. It doesn't matter. It's not about your genealogy anymore, right? It never really was, but people want to make it that way, right? And so now it's 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 about it's about it's about believing God. It's about trusting God. We're saved by faith alone. Um, so whoever shall call upon God is based on what? His word, what he has said, Scripture alone. Evidence demands a verdict. And the verdict is, Jesus is Lord. The evidence is, and the verdict is, salvation through Jesus Christ. Right? Alone. Now here's the uh, next part where I put the stuff about homiletics and hermeneutics and all of this up here. So then he takes it one step farther. Because now he's saying, this is how you get there. This is, this is how you do it. But now, what's the vehicle that we're going to be using in the New Testament? For how shall they call upon him, verse 14, then how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. You know, this is basically saying we are to preach the gospel. But what you have is a preacher, someone who preaches the word of God. We're not necessarily talking here about an ordained minister only. 
it's all of us. We're all called to preach the gospel, right? And uh, uh, as a preacher does what? Proclaims. Uh, and what do you proclaim? That we believe in the gospel. That we're sinners, separated from God. Uh, there's nothing we can do to overcome that. God so loved us, he sent his only begotten son. Uh, the result is that if I believe that and confess that, Scripture says, uh, we just read that I shall be saved. So again, it's based on, on grace alone. God so loved the world he gave, not nothing I did. It's based upon believing Scripture, faith alone and Scripture alone. Salvation is through Christ alone, and glory be to God alone. Right? When we, we see, we don't teach that enough in, in Christianity. That's the solas. That's 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 the Reformation. But that's the gospel. And we, we, as Christians, we have to get that down. We have to really understand that and convey that to others. You know, that's that's the gospel message. It's it's not a, it's not about all these other things. You know, whether you stand up or sit down during praise and worship or you know, that. No, it's, it, that, that's that's not it. You know, you can stand up, you can sit down, you know, you, you can lie back. And that, 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 that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, you know. That's what we're talking about. That's the gospel. That's how the gospel message is um, conveyed. Any thoughts, questions, comments on that? You good? You good? Okay, Romans 16. I mean, Romans ten sixteen. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Now notice the context of this. Again, this is a relatively popular, famous passage of scripture. You know, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, you know. There's sometimes people say faith comes by hearing by the hearing by the word of God, Christ and God, same thing, right? Hearing of Christ, uh, but he says, you know, all did not heed the message, and so sometimes this is Isaiah 55. This is the opening verse of Isaiah 55, and so sometimes when you hear Isaiah 55 preached, it's preached like all heard. You know, who's who's heard report? Well, we did, and you know, shout and yada yada yada. But actually, that's not what it's saying. It's saying they didn't get it. They didn't hear. They didn't heed. Because what is he talking about here? He's talking about some Jews did not make it. Some Jews did not believe in Jesus. Some did. Some didn't. But it's not now all about being a Jew. It's now all about believing in Christ. It's all about believing the message. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, glory to God alone, Scripture alone. And so that's the context of that. And so uh, that's why in our understanding, in our interpretation and in, in application and in, 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 in breaking the word down, that's why I always say to you that if, if you are, if we are in a passage, say John, I'm just throwing it out to John 13. Okay, this is where we're starting, and we might be in John 1 to, 1 to 5, just that. Okay, that's, that's not where it begins. 
It begins with what came before that, and it continues with what came after it. And it continues within the context of where it was given, why it was given, and how does the Bible from Genesis all the way down now read into that and all the way down to the book of Revelation, how does it all tie together? See, that's, that's the um, beauty of the Bible. You've got 66 books that tell one story, salvation through Jesus Christ based upon God's love for us. That's the story, right? And so whenever we read a passage, we have to take it in, okay, who is John? Why is John's gospel different than Matthew's? Or Luke? Right? Uh, or or um, how does this tie into what comes after it, the book of Acts? You know, how did they in the, in the book of Acts interpret this passage in here? And where did this passage maybe was imported from someplace else you know you have to look at this the context of who it was given to why it was given what was the problem what was going on what was Jesus doing why was he doing it what was the outcome of all of this and then now uh, we have to take this and now how do this is us how do we now walk how do we now live our lives based upon all of that so we need all of this because if we just take this then what happens is we'll go to Isaiah and we'll go to Isaiah 55 verse <coughs> 1 and we'll tie this to that and then we'll take something from uh, numbers and tie it together and now we've made a sentence but we've taken everything out of context. Right? But you're laughing. So now we've made a sentence, and now what, we, what we've done is we're preaching out of need. I need you to hear something. We're not preaching from the power of God. That's why I say, I don't, every, every time, even whether it's Tonight or on Sunday, you hear God's conversation with me. I just get to share what he's saying to me. I don't sit there and say, okay, what, uh, what do I need to tell them? No, what do I need to know about God myself, and I'm going to share it. The blessing for me is I get to deal with it all week. Right? In, uh, but see, this is what happens when you, not that you can't relate, if there's something in Isaiah 55, 1 that correlates directly to this, yeah, like uh, we just read, he was using uh, Joel in there, right? And so, you know, if it relates directly, yeah, you can, but if you're just trying to make a sentence out of something because you want somebody to hear something, now you've lost the integrity of Scripture. You've lost the power, the authority. It's all gone. It's not there. And what amazes me is we would never read any other book like that. 
we would never read any book like that. You know, whatever whatever book it is, we wouldn't take a, a line out of chapter 3 out of some book and then chapter 16 and whatever and now say, oh, I know what this is all about. No, we'd say, no, you got to read it from the beginning to the end to get the whole story because there's a lot of stuff in between that you're going to miss. But with the Bible, we don't do that for some reason. It's like we check our, our, our intellect that God gave us out the door and then we turn off the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have to make sure we listen to God. Uh, okay, verse 18. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. So in other words, he's saying to them, they've heard the scripture, they just didn't heed it. They didn't follow it. It was there. And it's just like people that, 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 that we want to preach the gospel to. You know, you talk about, if you ask them, have you ever heard about Jesus? 99.9% of the time, people can say, oh yeah, I heard about Jesus. And if you ask them, who is he? They'll, they'll, they'll give you a loose understanding of, of, of who Jesus is, right? Because their whole life they've celebrated Easter and, and, and Christmas. So they don't they know that story, those two stories, if nothing else, right? Based on something. But they choose not to believe or they choose not to want to have the desire to find out who this Jesus really is, you know, and uh, uh, you know that's the difference. You know, it talks about you know your hunger and thirst after God. You want to know who God is. You want to you 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 can't get enough. You know who God is. So verse eighteen. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. What he's talking about here is the this 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 uh, thing with now Jews trying to hang on to their old traditions in the face of Christianity and other people now coming into Christianity. This is a prophetic thing looking forward. Verse 19, but I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. And a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Ouch. He says, all day long I have said, here I am. This is who I am. Come to me. And they didn't listen. You know, and, and this is what's going on in the world today. God's doing the same thing. You know, he's stretching out. He said, this is who I, this is who I am. Here is the evidence. This is who I am. And they just look away. They they want to hear something else. They want something else. They want whatever, and uh, uh, they did not observe the word of God. You know, there's one thing about you know reading the word of God versus knowing the word of God and applying the word of God. You know, devil quotes scripture, right? No scripture. 
Does that save him? No. no. So he's got he's got to go a little farther than that. Uh, they didn't observe the word of God, or they just don't want to hear. You know, this is stubborn. You know, uh, we went to breakfast this morning, and I, and I made a joke. And, and I said to Mary, I said, here's your license plate. There was a car there, and it was a joke, total joke. And it, was, it was a license plate on the car, and it said stubborn. <gasps> I repent, I'm sorry. It was a joke. You know, and, you know, it would very well be my license plate. But the, but the point is, this is what God is saying here. And so you think about it, and now it makes me think about, okay, whose car is that, and why are they broadcasting yes. the fact that they are what? Stubborn. Disobedient and obstinate people. <laughs> right? That's what stubborn is. And we all have that in us, right? But we have to, that's why we have to surrender to our way, and our way of thinking, and what we want. Yeah, yeah, yada. So... Last part here, just to kind of tie this together, because uh, when this was written originally, scripture there were there weren't no chapter breaks. There were there there wasn't anything. There wasn't a chapter ten. wasn't a chapter eleven. It was all there. So I want to finish this thought here from chapter Romans chapter eleven, verse one to six, because this kind of kind of caps off a little bit and prepares us for next week. Verse 1, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Because what's he been talking about? He's been talking about those Jews that did not come to Christ, and he calls them obstinate, stubborn people, right? And he says, what shall I say then? Is God has not rejected his people, has he? And then he says, may it never be. You see, some people will teach that, God just cut them off. God doesn't want to have anything to do with Jewish people, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, that's contrary to what salvation is. Because he just got through saying, if you believe in your heart and confess Jesus Christ is the Lord, you are saved. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. Right? May it never be. He says, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleaded with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets and they have torn down thy altars. I am alone and left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? He says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Uh, that's uh, idolatry worship. In the same way, then, there has also come to me, come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice, God's grace. But it, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. I'm going to hold it right there. And so what he's saying is that because they did not get it doesn't mean God now wipes them off and says, forget it, I'm not going to deal with you, I'm just going to deal with these people over here. Because later on he's going to be talking about, you know, God's able to graft them back in the same way he grafted us in. And, you know, uh, so God doesn't cut anybody off. But the point he's making here is that we all 
do what Jesus said, no one gets to the Father but through me, through him, right? And so he's just being constant. And so, again, when you, when you, when you read this and you understand, he understands what John was saying, you know, Jesus, no one gets to the Father but through me. Has God cut off his people? May it never be. Because they're able to come to Christ the same way we are. But it's not going to be a basis on the basis of law anymore. It's not going to be a basis on doing works and all these right things and, and all this other stuff. Uh, that, that now when Jesus said it is finished, we have to understand what that means. The Old Testament way of doing stuff is finished. The old way of coming to God or knowing about God is finished because he finishes it on the cross he says, it's better that I go, because if I go, I will send you the promise, the Holy Spirit. Because this is the way God's now going to be teaching us and dealing with us. That's why going back to your thing, what was there? God was there, the Holy Spirit was there, guiding you and all of us. And so we just have to learn how to discern that voice. And, um, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're all now people of promise. All of God's promises. We become people of God's promises, but we have to believe God's promises. Right? And so we're people of promise, and then we are covenant people. And I was thinking about this. I might do a little class on just covenant, because uh, covenant means contract. And, you know, God lays out covenant, which is contract, and, you know, Sometimes people think because the editors put in Old Testament, New Testament, that means covenant. Same thing. It's just a, it's just the Greek out of the, out of the translated out of the Latin means the same thing. Uh, that you know God's covenant. Sometimes people will say, well, now it's the New Testament. So therefore, what they're saying is the Old Testament doesn't exist anymore. The problem with that is all the promises, all the blessings are in the Old Testament. So what are, what are we talking about? Well, what's new is now it's all through Christ. It doesn't change God's word. It's just now because he was pointing to it. And so when you think about it, you know, the covenant, there's several covenants in the Bible. The first one was, was the one in Eden. They were banished out of the Garden of Eden. It would have been all good, and, and if they wouldn't have sinned, they could would have been in there now. But, you know... There was that covenant with Eden. Then there was the one with Noah, the rainbow. And then there was a, the one with Abraham, I will bless those that bless you. Then there's the uh, covenant with Moses, uh, redeeming the people. And if the people are willing to believe in God and trust in God, then he will be their God and you will be my people. I said before you today, both blessing and cursing, choose blessing. There's that. And then in uh, Deuteronomy, right before they go into the land, there's what they call the Palestine Covenant, which is, you know, if you obey me, you will be on this land. You will never be taken off this land. But if you don't obey me, you will be taken off the land. And what happened? They disobeyed. They were taken off the land. And then they came back. Then there's also the covenant with David, and that's kingship. Okay? And then the final part of the covenant that completes the covenant is the New Testament. So it's all one covenant but it's just displayed to us in different forms. But when you look at it and you lay it out, it's all one, one covenant.
It's like the Bible. It's not 66 independent books. It's 66 cohesive books that tell one story, one, one covenant. So I'll hold it right there. Thoughts, questions? So that's um, the importance of Bible study, I think, a lot of times that, that gets missed is that, you know, we have to be able to what... Paul tells Timothy, rightly divide the word of God. If there's a right way to do it, there's a wrong way. So we have to rightly divide it. It's not perfectly because none of us are going to do it perfectly. And perfect doesn't come until Christ returns. He's the only one that is, is, is perfect. But we have to learn how to rightly divide the word of God because it's a life and death issue. You know, if we do it wrong, people are going to go to hell. You know, and so we have to we have to rightly rightly do that. So anyway, I'll stop with that. I'm all wound up. <laughs> Things with that. Um, okay, praise God. Um, let's close this out in prayer, and then I want to do one other prayer before we we close. Lord God, we just thank you for this time tonight. Lord, we just ask that you. Uh, Bless it, Lord, we thank you that uh, you bring remembrance to us, this teaching by the Holy Spirit, and that, uh, Holy Spirit, you guide us into the passage, you guide us deeper into this word, you reveal to us uh, what it is we need to know, um, but you've called us to your word, Lord, and so we thank you for it, and in this we just give you praise and honor and glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God. We're off.